This gun sure looks deadly, but it's not the least bit deadly unless I point it at someone and pull the trigger. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Hey, welcome back everybody to Repeal the 20th Century. With me, I have Andrew Pierce. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm you know, Andrew from Popular Liberty, and you've probably seen me tearing it up on Twitter and YouTube. <laughs> Maybe not YouTube, but definitely Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's that's me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, I wanted to talk to you about quite a few things because as many people who are especially active on Twitter will know, um, you had been pretty much at the spearhead of uh, the post-libertarian moment. You were one of the spearheads at that. Um, you were at uh, Buck, who I had on uh, previously's um, round table on the post-libertarian movement and what it means um but moment, i think not movement <laughs> oh well moment yeah sorry very particular Wrong word <laughs> but um you know uh, but you had come up with some very specific ideas and you'd written about them and i wanted to ask about those ideas because i think um you know i kind of had i had pete uh on my show quite a while ago to talk about the more general aspects of it, but I think you came up with quite a few like specific ideas, and I think the first I want to talk about is um, anti-tax, because I think a lot of people are very unaware of what it is and and are very confused even by just the name of it. So if you mm -hmm. wanted to like briefly explain what that is, well, I mean the name it, it gets its name from the uh, fact that it reverses the incentives of taxation. And that's what I mean. It's not that you're opposed to taxation; it's that it reverses its incentives and makes it so that they are incentivized to actually uh, tax you less. <coughs> and you know, it really, uh, you know, it takes advantage of the fact that uh, <coughs> politicians have a time preference for power. It's something that Hoppe talked about a lot. This is also my third law of archotropism, but yeah, that's related to. But that's a different, uh, different uh, set of ideas that is highly related but we'll get to that i'm sure but uh this idea that hey you know why you know rothbard talks about this too where he's like hey why is it that uh you know these predators don't just go on like a killing spree and you know take all of it well because then they've eaten their last meal basically you know they there's no one left to produce for them and mm -hmm. so they have a incentive to kind of not eat their last meal and so there's a default uh you know, in incentive to spread out this predation over time in order to, uh, you know, get, like, you know, 
keep, you know, keep a steady stream going. But also this is something that we found out in the kind of the enlightenment era. I say that kind of in quotes, but uh, it is something we really did find out that, oh, there actually is a, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, states will defer gratification and leave more, uh, they'll defer gratification of predation and leave more to the private people. Well, then that gives uh, them a lot more power because the people will then, you know, through compounding interest and all that will then grow the pie. And if you like the reason America has a, you know, like such a gigantic government, it's not because the restraints on government failed, it was because the restraints on governments worked. <laughs> and that because the, these restraints on government worked at, uh, you know, de at forcing the politicians to basically defer gratification or at least behave as if they were, because, you know, it's a forced preference. It's like a forced preference. They don't have a choice in the matter. But uh, because of that, it necessarily left more for the people. And because it left more for the people, it left more for the producers. And so you so like two centuries later, you end up with a gigantic economy. That's that, that ends up be, being the, you know, the military superpower consequently. Mm -hmm. And so the so with the anti-tax, the uh, idea is, OK, they have this time preference for power where if they can you know be given a proper incentive to defer gratification, they get a lot more power. So with the anti-tax, what I did, you know, what it is, is at the very at the local most level of like the municipality level there because there's like 19,500 or, or or something or such uh, municipalities in the United States well over 3,000 counties if you wanted to just do it at that level you know that's quite a lot of competition and so the what I did and they all have you know some some degree of you know reserves of taxes that they've already collected so what I say and uh you know, that's usually like anywhere from like eight to 14 months, usually. If it's a really, really poor one, they might not, but they might have an exception to the rule there. But for the most part, they're all gonna have eight to 14 months of, you know, taxes already collected. So, you know, and, but they're kind of just like sitting in the bank or some kind of glorified savings account that's earning basically no, no interest. And at the same time, gathering quite a lot of inflation. And, you know, you're ba and uh, I take one look at this and I say, you know, this current system, because again, the laws that force them to not invest these things properly, to not invest this money properly, these were written like a long, like decades ago, back when interest rates were much higher and the laws actually kind of made sense. And to, but whereas today in the era of zero interest rates and high inflation, they just make zero sense at all. And so you're guaranteeing that, you know, these laws that made sense back then today are guaranteeing the taxpayers a loss. So, so what I said is, oh, well, how about we change these laws? We allow the the uh, local governments to you know it, to invest these funds properly, like through an actual manager. Because God help us, the politicians aren't one not qualified, because of, thanks to occupational licensing, ironically, <laughs> and uh, and two that you know e e they're poorly incentivized, you know, because they're going to invest this thing in socks or hobos or something like that. And so that, not only are they not qualified, not legally qualified, they're also but you know, have poor incentives. So we're going to say, hey, this needs to be managed by professionals, which is, by the way, is already the, the law of the land in basically every state that that money still has to, e even though it's, you know, the, uh, you know, it, it can't really be invested in anything other than like CDs and treasury bonds and, you know, bonds for the state of Israel. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, as the, the only exception to the rule is, you know, you can buy a, a securitized asset if it's a, you know, a, you know, if, it, if it's an Israeli debt. So, you know, I said, hey, why, why don't we just let them in, invest in anything that's a investment grade asset? And, 
you know, the, it has to be done by professionals, has to be transparent, all that, you know, obvious anti-corruption stuff. And, and, but in exchange for giving them this privilege back, you know, they have to say all of this money and we're going to mandate this at the state level down to the local level. So it's not like, you know, it's like, why would politicians uh, vote against themselves? They wouldn't. They're not voting against themselves. They're voting against the other guy. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's like the local guy's problem. So like what I would say is, hey, at the state level, we're going to mandate that they have to, uh, you know, th if they're going to turn their uh, reserves or whatever into an anti-tax fund, then anything that comes in has to be directly taken out of taxes. So that basically has to substitute for existing taxes, not uh, expand spending. And so the and this and through this way, because, hey, compounding interest grows every every single year. And I'm not going to put in any uh, thing that says they, they can't add principal to it, you know, because I'm, I'm sure they're I mean, they're, such a law would never stand anyway. You know, they, they would it probably would never get passed and two would never stay, you know, stay passed for a long time it would probably get repealed. And so I'm just not going to bother with it. But yeah, it's also I don't think it's necessary. But, you know, the idea is, hey, you know, they have to uh, they can't raise taxes anymore. So they've given they've they've willingly given up that power to raise uh, taxes beyond what it already is. And it and so and with uh, compounding interest coming back every single year, well, they're they can be allowed to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, grow this, grow this fund to eventually the point where they really don't need taxation for themselves anymore. Mm -hmm. And you give the people a tax cut this way. But what's great about it is that, you know, by, you know, giving both the politicians and the people this kind of incentive to where there's theoretically no lower limit on the, on their uh, taxation level that basically you can say, okay, if you guys are really, really diligent about, uh, you know, about, you know, running a tight ship and all that, you know, you can actually, uh, you know, take that difference and, uh, and add it into your, uh, you can, so you can still uh, tax it at, at the same level, but, you know, and you don't have to, you know, if the anti-tax is coming in, you're allowed to, you know, put some money back in as principal or, so, or, or you know, so to speak. And you could theoretically grow this thing to where you don't ha actually have to pay taxes in your in your jurisdiction, and so you know. But and by incentivizing both the politicians and the people to follow this system, I I actually pay them to be libertarian. In effect, they don't, I don't have to convert them. I don't have to read them one sentence of Rothbard. I just have to give them a, a system that pays them to do the right thing. And the and so and people will generally do what they're paid to do. You know, if you if you have to like argue with the baker and the butcher to you know on a moral level to you know give you food and stuff you know they're probably not going to want to do it whereas if you just hand them money they're like here you know it's real it's real simple people do what they're paid to do i want to i want a system that pays people to vote better and govern better and this is that system mm -hmm. yeah i i definitely think that there is meat to what you're saying in that you know it does take that very grounded economic concept of that people are willing to do what they are incentivized to do, particularly through the payment of goods and services or the medium of exchange for that, that being money. Um, and you also touched on really well on kind of the the basic model of governance, like even um, economics that are not super libertarian, they will describe that the mo modern model of governance is really just like um, we went from roving bandits who took as much as they could, um, but mm -hmm. then they realized it was more sustainable to be a, a stationary bandit, 
stay in one place and offer up minimal goods and services in exchange for the resources of the land that they set up with. So I think your plan is, is, is you know, anti-tax as an idea is a very good one um, on a purely theoretical uh, level. But I wanted to ask you, though, um, because I think of something that has defined the post-libertarian moment has been very much that um, the critique of libertarianism is not being very practical and not seeing a lot of real-world application. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you if you have observed any real-world application of this idea um, or is this just kind of like a thing you've been Of the anti-tax, you mean? Yes. Well, I mean, this is why I founded Mises GOP, is that, you know, I'm wanting to actually push this thing through myself. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to use lobbying because, you know, the, that, uh, you know, I can lobby the guy. I mean, if the power's for sale, why not just make the purchase? You know, why do I have to fight the power? Why can't I just buy it if they're selling it? You know, again, like if I have to fight the butcher to make him give me, you know, a, a, a ribeye, you know, this is not a very efficient system, whereas I can just pay him mm-hmm. to do the exact same thing. Whereas, you know, these people, again, if, if, if by, you know, if the politicians at the local level are basically, you know, the, uh, they have a shared interest, you know, with the with the state level that hey, and 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 vice versa. That hey, the lower taxes are, the more economic prosperity is, the more it grows the pie. That benefits both the local government and the state governments. And you know, I'm not forcing the I, I'm not forcing any of the state level government to give up any power. And so and and if anything, they're going to get even more powerful for it because again, we know how time preference for power works. That if you if you leave more to the people, necessarily, you know, that's going to grow the pie and, and grow their power, and they know it. And so, yeah, it's a trade. Power for power creates more power. Value for value creates more value. And so, you know, when I'm saying, hey, how about I just lobby them? You know, it's like, hey, power for power. You know, it's value for value. Here I am providing them the goose that laid the golden egg, and because it, I mean really is a, a beautiful system for them because they don't have to cut any they, they no longer they're now they have a real disconnect between taxation and spending whereas beforehand in order to have that disconnect they had to like take out a loan and that loan's always going to come due well this works exact or they have to uh find a way to actually cut spending and screw over some of their uh constituencies which they really don't want to do sometimes they have to but you know they generally don't want to have to do it now i just handed them a way of here's how you do, here's how you get to have your cake and eat it too and so it really is a beautiful system for them now they no longer have to cut spending ever and you know they still can and i certainly encourage them to but you know that you know they they also don't have to necessarily raise taxes in order to raise spending you know it, it is or you know raise debt which again always comes due it just means you're deferring that that tax uh hike into the future and so for them you know i'm i'm here handing them like here's the goose that laid the golden egg how about we pass this thing and they're like well i'm gonna get more power out of it so fine and you know and uh so like for that, so when I say like, hey, this is like a f- pretty easy application to make, you know, I, I really, I, I think it might take one or, you know, like maybe two or three sessions to really get it through in one state. But, you know, I figure once I get it through in one state, it's pretty, it should be really easy to do in every other state. And again, and, and it's like, and that even assumes I'm getting any sort of pushback. I don't think I'm going to get pushback. I just think they're just not going to understand it because it's kind of a complicated thing. And, you know, it might, it might take me two or three sessions just to explain it to them. And, you know, but once they get it, they're like, oh, OK, you know, more power, so, you know, sign here. <laughs> and uh, it, it, and so, it, like, I figured that's the most it would take. 
And so this is not really that much of an ask. It's just saying here, hey, here's a different way of doing task cuts, which, you know, if you're a Republican, this is what you're programmed to want to do already. Mm-hmm. And here's, a, and by the way, if you're like Texas and Florida, where you actually used weaponized tax cuts, you know, in order to steal businesses from other states, kind of a dick move, but it works. And so here's a here's an even better way of doing that is screwing over the other states to get more business and power for yourself. You know, it's, it's like, here's an even better way of doing it. So, you know, how about we pass this thing? I, and I'm, all I'm doing is giving them a better way of doing something they're already doing. And, you know, I don't think that's a really big sell. And so, you know, I see this, uh, you know, no, nobody has done it yet, but it seems like such an obvious sell. You know, it's, it's just an easy sales pitch to make. I just don't see any real pushback coming from it. Because and you and again you you see this behavior normally where like what is the explicit justification every single time they want to cut taxes, you know like literally what they say is we're going to cut taxes so that it grows the economy and we get more revenue later. That's how we pay for the tax cuts. I mean it's it's like literally low time preference is that the the justification for you know for like a tax cut. You see the same thing with like. Uh, well, uh, like uh, like drug legalization, like what you know, what you know, like for particularly the first like three or four states that did it, you know, every single one of them had like horrible budget crises going on. Like Colorado, they had like a twenty five percent annual budget deficit, and they managed to cut it down to two percent by you know passing this thing. You know, theoretically, which was a a ballot referendum, but I'm kind of like wink it was going to pass because <laughs> they needed this thing or, or is like they're facing bankruptcy so like they had an incentive to uh you know tilt the vote you know make sure the vote got out so to speak you know that the, the election was properly fortified <laughs> and uh so it's like, like yeah this thing passed and they did and you know they that like it was explicitly a hey we're gonna give you some of your liberty we're gonna sell you some of your liberty back and stop throwing people in cages for you know smoking a plant you know, in exchange for like a 35% tax hike, which translated to like a 20, you know, 3% uh, reduction in their deficit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's like they, they have, they, and you can go, even go back to all the way to the origin of private property 600 years ago when you had uh, basically bankrupt uh, European uh, uh, feudal lords who had just, you know, bankrupted themselves on the Fourth Crusade. <laughs> and they decided, that, and uh, they were coming back, they really needed money, and, uh, and the peasants were, you know, who had just been like killed off by the Black Death and had their uh, wages raised like fivefold they're like well how about you know hey i have all this extra money you know how about i uh you know buy some of my uh land from you and that's how private property was born so like we literally have like 600 years of examples including the origin of private property itself you know to uh you know of how this system works and of the of politicians and statesmen you're making exactly this sort of trade repeatedly and so I just like I, I see it as such a small ask that has such a big payoff for that you know for all t- for all sides. So I just don't see the issue. You know I don't see why they they would ever oppose it. I mean it really is like the goose that laid the golden egg. All they have to do is pass it. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, so to answer your question, like is this a uh, you know, arguing that uh, libertarianism is not practical? You know, do I see that being a problem for the anti-tax? No, I do not. Because I, again, you know, the uh, you know libertarians they rest everything on this really false understanding of how power works, and mm-hmm. that's something I've been I, you know, I've been correcting with my archotropism framework. It, uh, uh, really, no, it's just a theory of archotropism. Now I've upgraded it from a framework. This thing doesn't really have good good counter arguments against it. 
and so the uh this and so it's like there no, there's no good there's no good argument to get against that this is how actually how power works and you know because libertarians are not playing with a full deck you know they, they're not when it comes to economics they miss out on obvious solutions like this and they're just like power bad you know and it's like well i mean that's just completely unhelpful it doesn't tell me anything about how it works or what to do about it just you know all you're doing is just moral condemnation and mises himself you know literally criticize this saying that you know we can morally condemn until the cows come home but that you know that people are still going to show up for work at raytheon mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean and you know it, it, and he he said i mean he says this about defense contractors and just the point is always very you know you know, unassailable that you know you, uh, moral condemnation really doesn't work very well but works really well as incentives again you can't argue with the bu- the butcher to you know give you a piece of meat because you're hungry it's like that, i'm sorry that you know if you just pay him it'll be done you know it's a done deal and so yeah it's like i'm playing with a full deck they're not that's why they're impractical and i'm not mm-hmm. yeah you know uh You've brought it up several times now, so I actually do want to talk about archotropism and kind of getting into that. Because I think you are right that libertarians have been uh, almost, I think, scared of seizing power, um, scared of it. And I think a lot of it comes from they don't want to participate in a system that, you know, is worthy of condemnation. There is lots to condemn. There is lots of misuses of power and power being used wrongly. But it is a kind of a situation of uh, are they just waiting, you know, lambs to the slaughter or expecting that, uh, uh, you know, at some point the Raytheon employees won't show up to work because we said it was wrong enough. So I kind of wanted to ask you about archotropism mm-hmm. because I think that's another term that, you know, um, people, when they hear it, they just they don't know what it means. You know, they want to so, put an A.N. in front yeah. of it. And it's just completely wrong. That'd be a wonderful problem to have, but we don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, archotropism is the process by which a uh, a, and the praxeology of how a state uh, one creates itself and then grows grows its power base by extracting order from chaos and basically what they have an incentive to when you have seen it where they have an incentive to seed chaos so they can be the one to solve it and they create problems so they can solve them and uh, this is why is that but you know doing this is how uh, you know, they get power out of it. See, in a in a natural order anarchy, <laughs> I call, you know, there actually is a private state. Yeah, you know, which is not all not at all unironic. There really are, you know, a a every private property owner is a legitimate monopoly on violence within his property, and you and in order to even get on his property, you have to contractually consent to it or implicitly consent to it. And so the the uh, you would be consenting to their uh, authority as the monopoly on violence for their property because they're the owner and they're a legitimate owner. And you don't have to go onto their property if you don't want to. And so you are going to have monopolies on violence within, you know, a private a private law society, and they don't like to hear that. And so. But the reason that such a thing exists in a private property society is that so that you know, people can have a standard of order. You know, the the state exists to provide order to people, you know, because they cannot provide it for themselves. They just don't have that means. They're they're specialized for other things. You know, it's like the farmer cannot be, you know, specialized in military combat and, and, uh, you know, putting down riots and police business and stuff like that because he specialized to grow the food. 
you know, like if everyone's a policeman, if everyone's a firefighter, if everyone's a, a, a soldier, who's growing the food? You know what I mean? It's kind of a basic obvious problem that, hey, people want, you know, you they want security. It's not really what it is. It's not really security. It's it's a higher than that because it's not just uh, that I, I need you to keep me safe. It's that I need you to give me certainty of what the rules are. You know, I need someone who's specialized in lawmaking in in, in all of the uh, proper in all of the uh, you know activities of statecraft. Someone who can go to war on my behalf. Somebody who can uh, provide police security and law enforcement. It's not just security; it's law enforcement on my behalf, and everywhere I go, and give me that certainty that I need to actually be able to plan for the future in doing whatever productive activity it is that I do. If I don't have that, and I have to worry about, you know, uh, security all all the time for myself, I have to worry about being my own government. Uh, this isn't going to work out because I don't have the kind of bandwidth for that and nobody does and so that's why we specialize it up to specialists <laughs> you know i mean the, you know it, it's hard to, not to argue that the state is specialized for violence <laughs> that, that's that's the service you know it, and it really is a service it's not like they're forcing people that you know it's, it, it you know well in a sense they are because they're not giving them any other options but you know you wouldn't have other options in a private society anyway because you know it's like you don't get to say what another person does with their property you know and so it's like you either choose to go on their property or you don't and you have no and you have no say other than that it's not as it there's no vote there's only exit as curtis yarvin likes to say so with the archotropism yeah like if there's chaos it, you know think of think of what kind of productive society that's going to be you know it's, it's going to be substantially less productive therefore it's open to a hostile takeover and I don't mean with violence. I mean, like, let's say a corporation owns it and there's just shit at providing law and order to people. Well, what's that? You know, this is their uh, land of pro this is their uh, private property. This is their productivity. Their share their share price is going to be quite a lot lower because, you know, it's like how much tax revenue can you extract from poor people? Less, <laughs> you know, it's substantially less. Whereas other cor other corporations who are around are going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm much better at providing order, you know, to my people. They're more productive because of it, and I have a much higher share value. I have much more money coming in. How about I buy a bunch of your shares and just buy you out? And this is how hostile takeovers happen. And so the uh, like that's kind of that's kind of the problem that uh, that you know even in a a society, you know if you know, chaos always demands order and it demands force to put down the chaos, you know, so you can get order. And so this, is, and uh, and by the way, you even see this in the Bible, you know, what happens and you know, like Genesis, like the first chapter of the book, you know, what happens? You know, it's like, hey, the earth was dark and formless and the spirit of God hovered over the, over the waters and said, let there be light. That word for dark in he, in, in uh, Hebrew so it, it, it also means chaos. And it's funny because it's it's actually spelled, it's two different words, but they're actually spelled because they're, you know, in Hebrew, there are no vowels. There's only consonants. They're spelled the exact same way as left. So when I say, so when it says dark or chaotic, and the word, you know, that word for dark and chaotic and the word for left are spelled exactly the same way. 
And so like you see later in Micah when it's, you know, when it says, Hey, there are angels on God's right and angels on God's left. And that, you know, what, you know, what is referred and then, you know, this is a uh, Pope St. Gregory the Great who first pointed this out that, you know, God is uh, surrounding everyone. So, you know, why do we, so why is this there, there, this distinction is because it's actually a play on words. It's not, a, it, you know, it's not really saying his physical left or his physical right. He's, it's a play on words that, uh, you know, it, that left means dark and, you know, chaos. And, and you know, this is where we get the idea that the left wants, you know, wants chaos and equality and they're the evil angels and all that, that, and the, that the uh, both hands still serve him because the system's rigged anyway so like this idea that chaos demands force to be used against it to you know put it down and to uh pr and to supply order this is exactly you know this is like pretty ubiquitous throughout human history again for this reason that people need certainty they need order in order to plan for the future to plan for production to produce you know you know the wealth that ends up getting turned into power you know and completing the, completing the cycle and so the uh so you know what i did was i took this concept because it's again it's something we've you know we've even seen like in 2020 where you know hey what happens you know what's the first thing that the the uh they did when covid broke out you know they grabbed power you know it's initially you know immediately the first thing they did was you know a power grab and then later on it's like all right all right we'll do something about covid which kind of just seeded more problems and you know it's go going to just help them grow power in the future that's all they're doing. I mean, right now they're, you know, it, with a republic, it's kind of a fraud, you know, because it never provides order, always just provides more chaos because they have no incentive to do it because they have no real ownership and they don't get a profit from doing so. So they end up just defrauding the people over and over and over again. And so, you know, what I did was, okay, I took this idea and I built an entire praxeology around it. You know, that, hey, again, like, you know, and which again goes back to the action axiom because people prefer, uh, they, they, you know, they uh, use means and time to achieve ends. You know, it's a very broad statement, but what it means is that, that you know, it implies that, you know, people are naturally going to perform more ends for fewer means. And, and one such end is power. One such means is also power. <laughs> you know, where power is both an, ends and, an end and a means. And, you know, again, people will want to achieve power. You know, and they're going to want to maximize it, and they're and because of that, because humans are are you know value maximizers, people will always try to you know centralize power. This is <laughs> it's like this is inevitable. That's it. Power isn't both an end and a means, and people want it. You know, to say that, and you can say the same thing of wealth. That wealth is both a means and an end. <laughs> And you know the idea, and yeah, I've, I've had some pushback with that, that said, "Oh well, no, it can only be one or the other." I'm like, "Nope, nope, that is not what we observe. <laughs> the, you know, it's definitely not what we observe. There, where you know, money is both a means and an end, and so, and same thing with power is both a means and an end. And again, some people are specialized for it. The market demands it as a you know prerequisite for its own productive activity. This thing's not going anywhere. So how about we just talk about have a good conversation about how does this thing work? You know why does it work the way it works? What can we what what are if anything are we able to change about it? And how do we do that? And what I said is okay. This thing is never going away. You know power is based. You know power is never going away. So what do we do? Well, let's at least make it legitimate. You know, where it's derived, where the the right to be a monopoly on violence is derived from from being a private property owner, rather than you know being the the you know the republic or whatever. 
And so, you know, my efforts with Mises GOP are all tailored towards that end of, you know, we're not going to abolish the government, we're going to privatize it. And because that's what's actually doable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what you bring up interesting in, in arco-tropism is um, kind of something that I've, I began to realize on my own too, especially after I went to um, Mises University and spoke to Ryan McMakin there, because Ryan McMakin makes a very um, specific distinction when he talks about the state. He'll call it the modern state, and I think that's a really good way to characterize it because the modern state really does differentiate itself from you know the state that you're just talking about in the sense that like there were private property owners they owned private property and it was agree to my terms or exit you know as uh you said Curtis Yarvin put it there is no vote there is only exit um so I, I I agree with you for largely on all of this um but I think where some people are kind of questioning is um this turn this focus on power um is is it not potentially a slippery slope into, I guess, really just what we see now, the you know a t continuation of the modern state, um, in the sense that the focus is on just trying to use the modern state to to privatize itself. Some people question if that's really feasible, or if it's, you know, not well, it depends doable. on how you frame it. Uh, yeah, it depends on how you frame it because. You know, if, if you're looking at it as I'm taking power from the state by using the state, you know, I can see why they might think that, yeah, it's probably do that doesn't sound right. Well, we're, you know, we're, and again, this is why I turn it around on them, you know, and, and I say, no, actually what I'm doing is growing the power of the state by, by privatizing it, you know, because let, let's face it, let's, let's say I had a magic wand, you know, or I had Rothbard's magic button that could make the state disappear tomorrow. Well, what's gonna happen? Well because you libertarians just spent the last 70 years telling everybody that my property, my choice, my rules. No, it's like, I don't need a constitution for my own for my own property. Well, what you just told all of the reptiles is that, oh, so you're saying if I privatize this government, I can have virtually unlimited power? You don't say. <laughs> and so by privatize, you know, by putting it that way, what's going to happen is these, uh, these elites, these reptiles, are going to get together with other elites and reptiles that they trust. They're going to form corporations that do that you know take out as much debt or for what or do whatever it takes to buy up as much land as they can so they can make rules on it. <laughs> and you know they can be the ones to make the rules. That's what they're good at, and that's what they're there for. And so <clears throat> even if you had <coughs> you know Rothbard's magic button to get rid of the state. What's going to happen is there's naturally going to be a a private property state based state now that's far more powerful than the uh, Republican government we have right now. So, and by the way, with no constitution, <laughs> like they can do whatever they want because it's their property and that's the rules. And you just told them that. <laughs> so what do you? So literally, you know, when I say that, oh, actually, I'm going to be using the state to grow this power of the state such that it ends up becoming private property. Yeah, it's a much better argument because that's actually how it works, and they're, and it's definitely how they're going to see it. And even if you had Matt Rothbard's magic button, you know, it's still going to end up that way. And so, you know, it's, it's like, how about we just again, if you are, if you aren't playing with a full deck of economics, you're going to miss an obvious truth like this that you should have gotten decades ago. And mm -hmm. but because like you refuse to look into how power actually works. 
and and to really understand it as it understands itself you know because of that you ended up missing out on 70 years of progress which you could have been doing so you know it is what it is mm -hmm. yeah i have to say I, I i think i agree with you that a lot of libertarians are very naive about you know what what is uh, a society look like without at least you know the modern state as ryan mcmahon would put it um and I think he actually says very good in his lecture that he gave that year at Mises University on um, political decentralization as a road to anarcho-capitalism and kind of said, you know, like, we are going to see societies that are like the the power of that governing body is going to increase. And I think that's 100 percent true. There are going to well, be some property owners who are going to be very strict with their property. And um I think you are recognizing that properly, but where I think some people may poke some criticism in is kind of saying, well, how is this different from, you know, decentralization or, or localism? Uh, because decentralization, what, you know, what's implicit in my <clears throat> explanation is that decentralization is not the road to private property. Centralization is. And so mm -hmm. it's like literally you, you're going the opposite direction where what you really needed to be doing and I understand what they're saying when they say decentralized, what they mean is privatized. So it's like they have the right idea, but they have the wrong idea about the right idea about what its nature actually is. And, you know, in order to actually privatize it, you need to be, you know, couching this thing as how the politicians get more power, not less. And because that's the sort of thing they care about. And, and so the, uh, you know, framing privatization as a power grab actually makes quite a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. because that's in fact what it is you know it, it is it is a full getting rid of the rules and we've kind of seen that with like the tech monopolies and all that where hey it's a you know private censorship hey it's a private company bro and you know it's like as like yeah and you know what you could also just buy the thing out <laughs> it's like if you wanted to go wall street back you know i had this idea back in february you know like two months before elon musk came out with his idea with the same exact idea and I posted I posted everything on Twitter I have the screenshots to prove it that you know had the full idea of hey why don't we just do a hostile takeover Wall Street bet style and you know we appoint uh you know guys like Alex Jones and uh Nick Fuentes and all that as our pro as our proxies because you're allowed to vote by proxy <laughs> you know so you know if you and the rights the one with all the 401ks all the jobs <laughs> all of the excess spending money and they're the ones who could who are also facing the tech censorship and have the incentive to be to buy into a you know campaign like that and just buy out the buy out the people and and appoint their own uh, favorite proxies as their voters so mm -hmm. and this is a really really easy and simple idea that because this is actually how you would do war in a private society is hostile takeovers but just like this wall street bet style and all that so the uh so yeah, it's a private company. They can do it to you, and it's right. No, it's really shitty. In fact, it's immoral, and because of that, it drops their share price. It drops their productivity, and you know that makes them vulnerable to a hostile takeover. How about that for archotropism? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean that that's where and which again demands power to be used against it to put it down. <laughs> so this is what's happening. Yeah, I mean it, it, you're seeing archotropism on the individual and and uh, societal scale yet again in a completely different sphere and so 
yeah, if I privatize something like this, yes, it makes the government far more powerful, but powerful only to do the right things. Because to do the wrong thing necessarily means dropping their productivity, dropping their share price, and leaving them vulnerable to hostile takeovers. So, so you're actually getting the actual the Catholic definition, or actually Orthodox, because I'm pretty sure you're Orthodox as well. So, <laughs> so you would you would share the same exact definition of liberty, which is different than the liberal definition. The liberal definition is, you know, I'm free from all aggression and and uh, you're not allowed to have any sort of constraint against me. Any kind of constraint is evil. <laughs> and whereas the Orthodox and the Catholics would say, no, that's incorrect, because to to err at all is carries within it, its own intrinsic constraint. So mm-hmm. there's no escaping. There's actually no liberty to get things wrong, you know, because if you get it wrong, it, it carries constraint with it, it, you know, whether you meant to or not. So then, this is that this idea of sin that hey, if you if you sin, well, the, like the wages of that is death, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that uh, you know. So really, you can only define liberty as the freedom to actively choose the good. So there's only the, the good and the true. So if you're choosing the good and true, there is liberty in that. That's why Christ says the truth sets us free. And so if you're saying that I want freedom from all constraint, I want, you know, what you're effectively saying is I want the freedom to get math wrong and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, you know, this is why uh, the Catholic, uh, one of my favorite archbishops, he says that the liberalist is marked by his advocacy of liberty to the absurd. (laughs) And that, uh, and so like that real liberty is really, can only possibly be the liberty to choose the good because the only place where you actually get freedom out of it, out of making a choice. Because to choose error, to choose sin, is necessarily carries its own intrinsic constraint. So, bar and that—that's just an intrinsic constraint. Doesn't it doesn't even account for what might be an also an extrinsic constraint, which might also be quite legitimate. So, so the, uh, so, yeah, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a corporation that is, you know freeing itself because it has so much power now to do the wrong thing to sin against other people it is a sin to you know censor people's political speech that is a sin and so you know when you're doing that yeah you're going to leave yourself open to a hostile takeover and if you're a government that you know wants to encourage degeneracy to encourage you know families to break up and shit like that you know because you think you're going to get more short-term power of it what you're really doing is you're not you're not uh you know growing your power base you're shrinking it in fact you're consuming it this is a high time preference behavior that squanders value squanders share price and again leaves you open to a uh open to a uh, you know a hostile takeover so what you really need is a state religion <laughs> and you and not just any state religion you need one that's really 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 excellent at providing order to people so we can get uh, immediately get rid of protestantism <laughs> we can immediately get rid of like judaism immediately get rid of all of the other isms that aren't basically trad christianity either catholicism or orthodoxy I'm preferable to the Catholicism. I understand other people feel differently, <laughs> but yeah, these are the only two that are even possibly going to work. You know, mm-hmm. so the, uh, the so and you know, the Catholics, we did build Western history, Western civilization from the ground up. The Protestants fucked that up later, but uh, you know, it, it wasn't like the Catholics didn't have a hand in it. It just wasn't quite the hand that a lot of people think it was. It was really that we, you know, we had a political screw up at the beginning of the uh, 16th century that, you know, when we decided that when the Pope decided to split the world between Portugal and Spain at uh, 1506 with the Treaty of Tordesales, uh, what that did was it cut out all of the rest of, of the Catholic countries of Europe. 
to uh, you know, have a legitimate claim to the new new world. So what did the states immediately do? Well, you had four reformations within the decade. <laughs> so like <laughs> shocker, you know, yeah. And of course, they state funded every last one of them, and uh, you know, and uh, so you know, it's like you know, and the reason being was that they're looking for an, a religious excuse to get rid of the pope and uh, and depose him without deposing him, and so and to ignore his authority so that they can colonize the new world, which they definitely tried. You know, it's like at the moment they had their reformation going, it's like up. Oh, Time for age of exploration. Time to go, and yeah, it's time for some for some good old you know, British colonialism. It's like yeah, have you ever heard that? Like you've ever seen that meme that like British food sucks, and it's like the what the, the one Hindu guys or, or something like that. He's saying that oh, British food sucks, and the, and the British and the British soldiers like yes, indeed, our food does suck. Now hand over your spices and prepare to be taxed for the glory of the queen. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like yeah it's like this is exactly what that was that uh that you know that you know the, the reason for the reformation had nothing really to do with theology it was all politics that was you know because we'd had heresies for like five centuries at that point and you know they they just go away and it's not usually not an issue because uh, because this, we excommunicate them the state stopped backing them they go into poverty or exile and they're just never heard from again and this time around because we ended up cutting out all of you know all of the other countries of europe out of the new world and they really really wanted that gold money uh that they decided that uh, uh this is not good enough we need an excuse so this time instead of you know putting down the heretics we're going to fund them and spread them far and wide and literally every single one of the reformers had had at least one state backing them and because that's how they spreads. That's that's where they're getting the money from. They're not like not doing this for free. I mean, heresy could be a, being a heretic costs money. So, and uh, anyway, so that so that was the political screw up that we had that caused five hundred years of, of problems. And uh, we'll get back to. But you know, we're gonna you know, once we can get the state unprivatized. At that point, now we have a state that can solve the problem by. Uh, helping us privatize the rest of the states and uh, getting the uh, human history back on the track it should have been on. So assuming that liberalism and Protestantism never happened and that the Treaty of Tordesales, uh, what didn't happen, was it wasn't the critical blunder that it was. So, that, yeah. so that's why I want. That's why I'm a a, a corporate monarchist. Is I want to have a theocracy. Yes, <laughs> I want to have a Catholic. I want to get back to a, a legitimate Catholic theocracy this time. Mm -hmm. and uh it's not going to screw us over mm -hmm. so that's the and i'm sure you know you as an orthodox uh, as an orthodox guy can appreciate that and say that sounds like a great idea andrew how can i help you out and, I would, <laughs> and then i would tell you you can go support my work at mesisgop.org forward slash donate and help us you know be, uh, privatize the state and mm -hmm. by giving it even more power as yeah. a libertarian yeah I actually, so I'm glad you brought up uh, Mises GOP because uh, that's where I kind of wanted to go for the last little bit of this. Um, I don't want to hold you too long, uh, but I did want to talk about that because I think political lobbying is a uh, untapped area for libertarians, liberty-minded people, whatever term we want to use here. Um, and I think that's what one of the good things that came one of the really good things that came out of the post-libertarian moment is a, a refocusing on lobbying as a tool um, to you know have our ends achieved and so I wanted to talk about a little bit about what the 
um, GOP Mises PAC is is doing right now. Uh, what's its future plans and uh, just where it's looking to expand? Uh, well, the first places we're looking are in the uh, state of Florida, state of Texas, and ca- kind of in the Republican South, where hey, that you have companies and and I, I should say you have states that have a culture of low taxes, laissez-faire government, and, you know, trying to steal business from other states, you know, and so they have a culture of this stuff already. You know, we're going to lobby these particular people, tell them how, hey, you know, here's the goose that laid the golden egg. How about we take it and pass the bill instead of cutting the goose's throat? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so the, I'm going to just help them do what they're already doing. And in doing so, you know, I'm going to incentivize this sort of statecraft, you know, that I'm going to incentivize this sort of power growth that leads that naturally leads to privatization. And so that and uh, by by getting it in just one or two uh, places, well, basically, I end up forcing all of them to do it, too. Yeah, you know, I, I, <clears throat> if I could just get it in like Florida and or Texas or something like that, because those are su- like super states that are already large parts of the economy. And yeah, you know, they're already stealing quite a lot of business. And uh, can you imagine? You know, be, you know, they have a low tax climate that's good for business already. That steals a lot of business already. Can you imagine what would happen if, like, those tax rates got cut by ninety percent, effectively? You know, how much, how much more they're going to steal? So, in other words, in, or, in other to defend against that, you know, your other states are going to have are going to necessarily have to, you know, pass the same exact idea. And you know, pass it faithfully. Don't screw with it, which is going to be tough for a lot of Democrats. You know, but fuck them. And so the uh, and so in order to defend this, they naturally have to go libertarian. They naturally have to adopt this you know low time preference for power policy, because if they don't, they're screwed. And you know, Florida and Texas will take the entire economy. I'm fine with that. I'm going to privatize the whole thing. And you know, and I think having this sort of incentive system in place, you know, and having competition forces, you know, again, nineteen thousand five hundred municipalities, they all have that that exact same, uh, excuse me, they all have that exact same incentive structure to where, you know, hey, it, it's really difficult to move your business from like you know California to Florida. It's just a really long drive. It's really expensive. But if you want to move like 10 miles in one direction to get like a 50% tax cut, you know, <laughs> that's like, that's a lot easier. So that's why when you look at like uh, tax jurisdictions on a map for local government to local government or county to county, they tend to line up with the people that next to them. Like you're not going to have like a a uh, a county where the total tax rate is like one half, one half of 1%. And one next door where it's like double that. You're just not going to see that. The, you know, there'll be differences. Some of them will be a little bit. You know, they might have a ten to fifteen percent difference, but nothing super spectacular. To where they, that uh, you know they're going to lose all their business because it's really easy to move a business ten miles or something like that. You know, three thousand is a lot, a lot more difficult. But you know, ten miles. Oh, that's that's very achievable. That's very cheap, and it's probably worth it. So the uh, you know, so you know if competition forces are funding this entire thing Effect- effectively you know this is a very very high roi uh you know activity where if you if you even are even if you're not in florida if you're like you know or texas you know and you say well i still want an anti-tax in my state well the still well the best way to do that is still to pa- to pass it in florida first because that forces literally everybody else to do it 
And if one of them, if I can get any one of them to do it, you know, all of the others will be forced into it. And so you're still, you know, so if you still want, and so if funding me is that, and funding me and getting me to, uh, you know, the lobby and get this thing through, it's again, it's probably going to take, you know, two or three sessions, not because there's real opposition to it, because that's just how lobbying works, where you have to explain the things to the people. And these are not truly intelligent people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, you, you really, are, I'm really gonna have to spell it out for them, I'm, I'm sure. And so the, uh, you know, all I have to do is convince them, you don't really even, and that's kind of also kind of a myth is that you actually buy the power, you don't actually do that. You know, it's like, usually you just talk to the people and they'll go through you don't actually have to donate to their campaign or anything it's really just a matter of you know getting the time and the bill and in front of the people and getting the time of day you know if you can just manage to get the time of day to convince them you know they'll generally listen and they're and they're and they're not like they're not so retarded and so power hungry that they can't see a good idea you know particularly when it comes to getting more power <laughs> you know when they see it you know so if you uh, want to, if you want to fund like uh, Mises GOP to actually help, you know, start this privatization process with the anti-tax and you know, getting that thing in place first, yeah, this is the way to do it. You know, fun, mm -hmm. you know, fund me. I'm going to get it through in the easiest states that are the low-hanging fruit, and then use the, and then use competition forces to, you know, Tom Sawyer the rest of the governments into doing it without me having to pay them to do it or, 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 you know, talk to them or convince them they'll have to do it or else they're going to lose literally everything to Texas and Florida. And so this is a, you know, for the price of one, I can get all 50 States. Mm. How's that sound? Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely think... org forward slash donate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually wanted to give you the opportunity to, promote anything of yours uh, obviously the Mises GOP um, I'll make sure to link all that because I did want to wrap up with you but I wanted to give you the floor as I give all my guests to promote anything of yours so anything else other than G Mises GOP pack you can bring that up again again if you want but Actually, I know you have other stuff you could promote as well Yep, one more time for the link. That is MisesGOP.org forward slash donate. If you want to help us, please donate monthly. It really, really helps us for planning for the future. And donating one, donating one time is welcome, but you know we really, really prefer uh, you know monthly payments as that's what really allows us to plan for the future. Again, it's like I, you know, if you give it to me once, I have no idea if you're going to give it to me again. But if you're subscribed, I know I'm pretty good for the future. So even if it's just a little amount, every little bit helps. Again, this is the the even if it fails, it's by far the cheapest failure it's going to happen. <laughs> but you know, if it succeeds, it's going to succeed for very cheap, and it's actually very easy to get this thing done, get, get this thing started. And the and to get this thing going is actually very very inexpensive. So we don't actually need we don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just getting us to like you know for if I just had like uh, you know like five hundred people giving me ten bucks, or even just get even five hundred people giving me five bucks, that's plenty. I can get this whole thing done with that amount. And this is you know a very very cheap and easy uh, strategy. That's like the best part of it is that it's very very inexpensive to do this. Like I said, if people had figured this out like two decades or two or three decades ago, we would have been done by now, like mm -hmm. completely done by now. Thirty years of an anti-tax is plenty, and to uh, drive this thing down to uh, zero. <coughs> and to drive privatization in the direction we need it to go in. So like this is the by far the cheapest, fastest, you know, most uh, you know, 
bestest <laughs> uh, strategy on the market. You know, and that's that's why it's capitalism. This is where you know capitalism works. That's the message. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, a very libertarian message. Way to end. Way to end this. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And um, I'll also make sure to link your Twitter uh, and your YouTube channel because I know you also have content coming out of mm -hmm. there that uh, I'm sure you want people to see. But uh, yeah, I thank you so much for coming on. Yep, uh, my you know YouTube is Popular Liberty, and thus you can find me there. I might change it to Politically Catholic eventually, but because uh, Popular Liberty is a it's an ironic name because Liberty is not at all popular. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like we've we've clearly we've established that after 2020, and you can find me at, on, on Twitter at Popular Liberty underscore. You can probably see that on the screen. And uh, that's and you can also I, I have articles that are written for free on my Subscribestar that is Subscribestar.com forward slash popular dash liberty to see all of the free articles which are very in-depth essays about how archotropism works and the anti-tax and all this other stuff. Yep. Well, yeah, I, I thank you so much for coming on and uh, really do appreciate it. And uh, I highly encourage everyone to please check out his work. So and donate. Yes. <laughs>